0: Good morning, Los Angeles. Or is it good night? I don't know. It's it's just midnight. Uh, I am not Jonathan Noyes in the studio. I am Anthony Costello. But this is the Apologetics.com radio show. And uh, so I guess we could say we have a special edition tonight. Um, and in the studio with me, we have some heavy hitters uh, tonight. Um, Logan Zepieri, who's been with us before in the studio. Logan, how are you doing tonight?
1: Doing well, thank you, Tony. And
0: just a reminder: whatever Logan says, I do agree with on this show. <laughs> and uh, it a little
1: bit.
0: But we've been at, uh, really brought in the biggest hitter uh, tonight. Um, we have professor of political science at Biola University with us, Darren Guerra. Darren, how are you doing tonight?
2: Glad to be here. I
0: said tonight again. It's it's the morning. I got to remember this. I'm not. The enough. sun's
2: not out, so yeah, right. tonight it sounds okay.
0: So um, we do have a, a, a contentious topic uh, this morning. Um, I think it's one we've dealt with before in the show, and uh, it is the topic of what we'll call for now Christian nationalism, uh, although we're going to take a look at that term as we go through here tonight, see if, uh, if we can define it, uh, maybe for the audience, and also whether or not we think it's even a good term for us to use in the church. Um, I wanted to set the stage tonight with by taking us back to um, a 1984 presidential debate between Ronald Reagan and Walter Mondale. Uh, so I was alive at the time, uh, although I was not as old as I might look. Um, and uh, you know, it was interesting in this uh, in this debate and the panel of three journalists there. One of the journalists was a guy by the name of Fred Barnes. And he asked, straight up asked the question first to President Reagan, um, President Reagan, are you a born again Christian? And if so, how do your beliefs shape your presidency? And, you know, Reagan kind of gave sort of a, you know, I always grew up going into church and my mother gave me a, a faith and I have a deep faith Uh, in God, you know, he mentioned God, and said how important it was to him, like Lincoln, uh, to have um, sort of a belief and a faith in a higher authority and power than any other, right, and that he couldn't do his presidency without that. And then, of course, after that, um, Barnes asked Mondale, who was the Democrat candidate at the time, same question, and Mondale kind of went actually a little bit into more detail. He talked about being the son of a Methodist minister, and his wife was a daughter of a Presbyterian minister, and how important you know faith was to him. And what was interesting is here you have uh, the Democrat um, saying how important it was uh, the, the the faith shaped our moral lives or the way we live morally. And then he said after that, and I think we can all agree on this which is an interesting line. So meaning me and Reagan, me and the Democrats and the Republicans, we can all agree on this idea that our faith shapes our moral lives. Now, both President Reagan and candidate Mondale, and we know that the outcome of that election was Reagan winning in a landslide. I think it was 49 states to one. But where there was an agreement that this is kind of a religious nation, that, and it's, it's religious faith that shapes our moral lives, and we can all agree on that. But then, of course, there was some disagreement on what is the role of government in religious life. And what Mondale was certainly worried about is people of faith who have a certain interpretation of faith using politics as a means to impose their particular interpretation on, onto others. So um, I say that because now we're, here we are 40 years down the line, right, from this debate. And I think it would be hard to say, and I'll start with you, Darren, that, that maybe very few candidates would say something like what Mondale said about religious faith shaping our moral lives, and I think we all agree on that. And he also called it America the most religious nation in the world where our churches and synagogues are full and we want to keep it that way. So what do you think what about 40 years later, where are we with with something like that?
2: Yeah, it, you know it was quite stark to hear you recount that Mondale Reagan debate, um, because it seems like it, it could have been a hundred years ago, because it just seems so foreign to the contemporary dialogue in the last decade or so, um, where uh, faith has suddenly become a very contentious issue in our country. And so to hear the Democratic candidate for president of the United States say that we all agree that religion is important to maintain a, 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 a public morality is, is quite stark to hear that, because I don't think you would get that we all agree on that uh, um, today. Like people don't agree on that point.
0: Um, yeah, that seems to be, you know, the, the, maybe the major point of contention that's right. In our political dialogue today. Um, which, of course, then raises this question of Christian nationalism. You know, what, what are we talking about today when we, when we hear that term? What are, people, what are people thinking when they hear the term Christian nationalism?
2: Yeah, well, that's where my issue with the term Christian nationalism is it can mean many things to many different people. And it's really hard to nail it down. Um, and often, when it is used, um, um, even in even by in, in scholarly terms, it's hard to nail down what do they mean by Christian nationalism. And it's often used um, as a term um, to, um, in a sense, slander both Christian slander Christianity with the term nationalism, um, which nationalism is often used derisively. And so if you pair Christianity with it, then you're saying, oh, Christianity is just a vehicle for nationalism. And it almost strips the term Christianity of any kind of um, important kind of moral content. It's just in service of kind of a dark brooding nationalism. Um, But again, if you look through how it's being used by various people, it is really hard um, to pin it down. And when um, um, people have tried to use it, um, they do so in a way that, um, um, again, it's just hard to know what they're talking about. They use it so broadly that you could could put very normal, you could put Walter Mondale as a Christian nationalist by their definition. Right.
0: I mean, given if you just were to watch sort of that, you know, that five minute clip of Mondale in 84, it seems like a lot of people would say oh well there that that would be some kind of christian nationalism but i don't think anybody in 1984 probably would have said that uh logan we were talking about this before the show about sort of the this kind of idea of the term being used just as a rhetorical device right it just gets thrown out there um well you were given some some insight on <laughs> on how you think it's being the terms being used yeah i know, think in the culture yeah i think uh I think
1: the essential reason why the term Christian nationalism is so like amorphous is because I think essentially it is just a rhetorical club. Um, You have the Christian side as you know, that's like bad plus nationalism bad equals something that's really bad. And so then they label these things and that should just shut the conversation down. And the reason why is I think what has been, at least in the contemporary debates, they've sort of loaded up the term Christianity with just just being anti-progressive. Mm-hmm. You know, right. it's just, it, you know, maybe maybe a dog whistle to like, oh, it's a conservative Christian kind of the implied meaning. And then the the nationalism, I think, is broadly speaking, especially when you start watching like, you know, foreign media, which I try to spend a little bit of time doing. Um, it, you know, they just import European or Asiatic nationalism, which has always been reducible to ethno-nationalism. And so the, mm-hmm. the argument is, well, it's basically anti-progressive, ethnocentric um, people and so we're just gonna do this label and then they just try to beat people with it and I think that
0: you know that's interesting because there is this this um, aspect of Christianity uh, the Christian part being tied to a certain ethnic part which is obviously it's obviously false false uh, like grossly false yeah grossly false right because of course you get you know they'll they'll throw in then more explicitly white. Or you know, hetero, white, patriarchal, Christian nationalism. I guess if you really wanted to start, you know, tagging on more and more modifiers. But, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but it it does kind of. And, and this was interesting because even in the '84 debate, when Fred Barnes asked the question, posed the question to Mondale, Barnes then did follow up by saying uh, where Mondale was saying, well, he didn't want people to use politics to impose their interpretation of religion, you know, onto others. And then Barnes pushed back and said, well, are you, he said, you seem to be a big supporter of liberal Christians or, you know, who marched in the civil rights movement or in the anti-Vietnam war movements. Are you only concerned about conservative Christians uh, imposing their, their, their Christianity through the political means. And he, to, to Mondale's defense, he said, "No, you know, that he made a distinction between uh, people of Christians getting involved in certain social issues, but then tr- in, in trying to manipulate government. Uh, but so, Darren, it does ra- raise the question then, though, okay, um, maybe the term Christian nationalism is just a kind of a rhetorical device. It's thrown out there. It's got negative connotations. Maybe we want to distance ourselves from that, but what is the role then? I mean, what what options do we have as Christians living in a society where we want to be, obviously, participating in our government, and in the laws that it that it passes? What you know, what is the role of Christi- our Christian faith in that participation?
2: Yeah, uh, the the American founders. This is not going to surprise you. Have always held they'd always held that. Faith has an important role to play in our political life. Here's just a couple of, of quotes. that this, I, could, I could pull dozens of these. Washington said, virtue and morality is a necessary spring of popular government. Human rights can only be assured among a virtuous people. Um, John Adams, public virtue cannot exist in a nation without private virtue, and public virtue is the only foundation of republics. And they go on, to tie how do you maintain public virtue? It can only be maintained through a religious people. Uh, Religious faith is the only way to assure um, a broad sense of public virtue. And so um, the connection for the founders, and I think philosophically over the ages is to have A broadly democratic government. You need to have a broadly virtuous people, and the way to maintain public virtue is through religion. That that formula, that link in the chain, has to be maintained, Um, and so this has always been part of American politics.
0: And that, I mean, that's almost exactly what what Mondale was saying was the Democratic candidate. Now, in the car ride up, we were talking about this um, event. uh, What was it in 2011? uh you referenced it uh the uh, was it a democratic national convention yes yes meeting it, yeah i think i, was- I believe it
2: was via ragosa was chairing the democratic national convention and they were trying to modify their platform right right and right. someone had pointed out that the democratic platform didn't have a reference to uh, under god or a reference to god as being important to that platform and so they, they saw that this would hurt them in the general election, because most Americans still believe in God and, and think that that's a good thing. And so they thought, hey, we need to add God back into our platform. And so they were trying to do this on a voice vote. And so he, he put it up, hey, we're gonna add uh, God in the Democratic platform. And they did a voice vote. yeah And it really sounded like everybody said no. Most people said yeah, no. He's it was like, close. Oh, okay, let's try I remember again. listening to it. Let's it try that like... again. And there's still a lot of no's. And then on the third time, it was still a lot of no's, and he just. Hit the gavel. Gabbled it, said, and, and they, they put it in they put because it they in knew that. they needed it in. Yeah. And so that that, that seems a million miles away from Mondale saying, no, we all agree on this. This yeah. is all important.
0: I mean, Logan, I mean, look, is the religious mm-hmm. language that maybe. Uh, is it just a political tool at this point? I mean, you say, or you say, like, we seem to have. Um, where religious language will be used even Christian language will be used but is it, is it is it becoming more and more the idea that it's it's just to gain you know votes it's just to get political points um,
1: I think how the term Christian nationalism is being used is just to use as a club now I don't know if if there if there's any um and maybe it's dependent on the individual but i don't i don't have any problem taking on the la- label christian nationalist only because i think if you're a christian you think that christianity is the true religion and if you think that the nation is the like political unit in the global order just like maybe the family is the the, the f- fundamental unit in society then you're going to believe that your nation's the best and i think everyone in each nation should think their own nation's the best to some capacity right but but that doesn't get to the political concerns like what you open it up at the beginning of this discussion where, okay, how does the Christian nationalist become a, a political threat? And I think it, or according to, I think the far left or even, even some moderate liberals, where it, it comes down to the question that was like, it's the metaphysical and the moral commitments that makes it politically um, integrated. For example, what Dr. Um, Greer was saying with America's founding, they had metaphysical and moral commitments that were Christian, that there was a natural order in which everything functioned. And you get these ecclesiastical, you know, debates on ecclesiology and those sorts of things. And that's where the founders tried to steer away from. But there is this question of like, is there a way in which the world functions? Is there a certain order in which people and their governments have a particular kind of relationship, and how do those function? And Christianity has a few things to say about it, and the founders sided with that. And so that's where you get these sort of heated debates, is go, well, how far does that go then? And some people will go so far. And I think grossly, again, misrepresent it and say, well, you know, America is not a fundamentally Christian nation. No, I think the argument is it's fundamentally only Christian. The question of ecclesiology and some of these other peripheral debates, they just said that's not the rule of government, but the idea of like all men are created equal. That's sort of the charter right. and the declaration of independence. You know, Chester made that comment. It's a fundamentally religious view. Like it's a creed in which America was established on that there's a fundamental equality, that from that equality it's it's endowed by the Creator, and that because they're fundamentally equal, the question of consent arises and, and that's why it's valuable. The consent of the governed to the government is valuable because you have certain things given to you by God, which goes back to the, the original you know, to, uh, conversation you were saying with Reagan and Mondale, which is, the,
2: is there a higher power?
0: Right, right. So let me, okay, Darren, yeah. Well, I, I was
2: just gonna say, you really only fundamentally have two choices. And, and Plato shows us this in the Republic with Socrates and Symmachus Ther- arguing. Now he was Greek, right, Darren? Yes, he was Greek. So, so this- what does
0: he have to tell us in, about America?
2: Yeah, well, he tells us about how the world works and what right. reality is like, and he really, sh- and I'm saying the two choices that he exposed are the same two choices we have today. Yeah, and um, um, on one side you have the sophists saying, "Look, uh, um, man is the measure of all things. Human beings, mm-hmm. we make the world, we we measure the world. That's all there is." And Socrates, not a Christian, not an American, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, He might be in heaven. You never know. I think people debate that. Um, (laughs) But um, he said, no, there's something about the human soul that's non-material and that there is a higher standard than just us. And and this question has been debated uh, through time immemorial. And the American founders, as Logan points out, came down pretty firmly on the side of Socrates in that one. Saying that there is a moral order that does exist, and we can debate and dialogue about what that looks like, uh, but we are not all there is. Right? right. The French Revolution kind of took that position. The American Revolution took a position that no, there is a moral order, and we have to conform our politics and our lives to this moral order. Right. Well, good. I
0: want to I want to dig uh, dive a little deeper. Let me just say again, this is the Apologetics.com radio show, and we will take calls uh, tonight. Let me give you the number here. It's eight 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 nine nine five 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 two that's five 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 two which i think uh is kkla if you have those old push button phones um and we are talking about well are we talking about christian nationalism we're talking about something that has to do with christianity and nationalism Um, and so let's let's um logan you said use this term metaphysics so Um, A metaphysic and a moral base, right, that, uh, again, seem to be implied uh, and assumed by both uh, Ronald Reagan and Walter Mondale in 1984, but where we don't think it's quite as assumed uh, as it is today. But let's look at the metaphysical part, which, Darren, you were getting into as you were talking about uh, Plato and the ancient Greeks. So um, let's break that down a little bit more for the audience. I mean, what do we mean by a metaphysical basis? What is the metaphysical basis that leads to then? What, what does that lead to for us?
2: Well, metaphysics is just describing the very nature of reality. What is really real? And is there something in reality that we have to respond to? Is there something higher than human beings? And um, thoughtful people through all the ages and Christianity testifies, yes, there's something higher than just us. We're not all there is. Man is not the measure of all things. There is a higher order. And uh, as, as Logan correctly said, our Declaration of Independence, um, uh, most people through history in America have held that there is a higher order. Um, there's been some departures from that. Um, and, and do we, re- in law, if we're gonna force people to obey laws, on what grounds do you do that? You do that because it, it adheres to a higher order. It's not just because we just made it up. Right. It's not just arbitrary
0: right it's not just a, a human convention that's right 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 so that we are actually in touch with something that can guide us that it is yet outside ourselves our that's own right. our own imaginations our own our own
2: minds right? That's right
0: and and um i remember the um it was the uh, scholar that um, you guys had at biologist the most recent one uh dryer uh,
2: uh oh justin dyer justin yes. dyer mm-hmm.
0: right and and so when he was there, he was, you know, he was showing and demonstrating that this is clearly what the founding fathers believed. I mean, that that that's not controversial in the sense. Um, but um, you know, he talked about um something called natural law. Mm-hmm. So how does the the metaphysics relate to natural law?
2: Natural law holds that there is a a law that exists in reality that we're all held accountable to. And it exists, uh, as Christians, we would say it comes from God, but non-Christians would s- would say that it, it exists in nature and that these are laws that we are held to, and we have to, um, our, our, nat- our positive laws have to reflect this natural law. This is an argument that Martin Luther King made in his letter from Birmingham jail. He mm-hmm. said, right. I'm not what obeying the to... laws of Birmingham, in Birmingham, because they are, uh, an unjust law is no law at all, to quote Augustine. Um, and so this this is a long tradition, natural law tradition, holding that our rights and duties are rooted in something higher than our own human conventions.
0: Logan, do you want to you want to add anything to that? Because I know this is a special uh, field of interest for you as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm just adding to what Dr. Grayer said. Is you know, the question of natural law is. Is really just a, I mean, there are there are some practical edges that I just want to kind of I guess brush up on it, which is, you know, if you think that, I guess reality, physical reality in some capacity, should should, should emphasis should operate a certain kind of way, right? That there is a you know, the circulatory system should operate a certain kind of way, not that it just operates mm-hmm. or that it operates at all, it just functions. If you have anything more than the the basic function of it. It should operate. The heart should pump blood in a certain kind of way. You know, the, um, the respiratory, you know, the lungs and the you know, air should flow in a particular kind of way. The human body should function in a certain kind of way. Human, there's a way in which humans should be flourishing. All of those things imply that there's some, some way in which the world should function. That's not dependent upon, you know, a doctor saying, no, this is how the arteries are going to function. This is how laws are going. To, a politician. This is how the government's going to work. If you're going to say no, there's there's the way in which the government's functioning, but then there's the way the government should be functioning. Mm-hmm. If, as long as you make that distinction, and you want to say it's outside of human convention, you're already kind of flirting with or just
0: committing to natural law. Right. So and so the the very the word, important word there is is the should. Yes. Right. It's the ought. And now, I mean, one thing that maybe some would be. Uh, push back and say, well, look, I mean, how do we actually discern this natural law, right? I mean, now you use the analogy of like the circulatory system. So we can, so I mean, which would be, which is sort of like, okay, the analogy, there's the anatomy, like the body, the body yeah. is sort of supposed to work a certain way. We, we know through science and just observation um, that when the when the body doesn't seem to be working correctly. Right. And then you'd want to put in put in the necessary fixes. Right. I mean, so um, I mean, where. In but, that, but you've already assumed when
1: you say necessary fixes, you've assumed because it's not right. working correctly. Right. Yeah. So, so you ha- have
0: knowledge that something's wrong. So you can you, yeah. you can discern that something's wrong with something like the human body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Darren, historically now, though, where are we with natural law as being a source a a real source that we're we're drawing from in the academy and then as in 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 politics and jurisprudence is has natural law just has it lost Mm -hmm. um the battle over the course of the years how did that happen if so does is it something that needs to be recaptured uh in the public eye uh the public imagination i mean where are we at historically with this this idea that the founding fathers had that they were basic building our our governance and juris, jurisprudence upon
2: yeah no i i think uh, natural law um certainly for 100 years it's been uh, or longer certainly but um you could trace the debate for 100 years or where it's been um hotly debated and it is something, I would argue, that it needs to be recovered. And we can talk talk more about that. Yeah,
0: yeah and, and uh, we'll do that. Let me give the uh, – we will be taking calls tonight. Again, this is apologetics.com radio show. And our number is 888-995-5552. And uh, we are talking tonight about Christian nationalism, or at least the role of Christians in our nation. And uh, – and we are talking a little bit right now on natural law, which um, was the um, the basis for the Founding Fathers to uh, basically build, build our country. And when we get back from the break, uh, we'll take some calls, hopefully, and we'll continue on the topic.
3: The mission of Apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio, on the internet, and now in the Life of the Mind conferences. If you believe in the work that Apologetics.com is doing, we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift so that this ministry will continue on the air, on the web, and in events near you. Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to Apologetics.com and click Donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to Apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting Apologetics.com. Pastors, Growing churches all across the Southland are using digital and broadcast media to expand their outreach to their communities. Today's digital technology, complemented by history's most influential medium, radio, allows you to do the same to go beyond your church's walls. It's happening here on KKLA. 38% of our audience is unsaved. 50 to 60,000 are unchurched, maybe looking for a church. And more of our listeners are shut-ins, elderly and disabled who cannot get to a church. We've helped many ministries start and grow their broadcast ministry. Some are heard nationally. And we can help you use digital and audio to reach beyond your walls. Call our director of local programming, Terry Harris, at 714-847-6762, 714-847-6762. You have a message of hope. We have hundreds of thousands of listeners looking for hope and answers. Call Terry at 714-847-6762. You know, there's a program on Saturday nights that we hope you'll listen to. It's David James, It's Real Life with Gina Pastore. And David James. And Gina, what's your hope for the program every Saturday night at 7.30? My hope is that we can encourage you as you go through things like the grief journey, for instance, and how horrible that can be. And there's sometimes nowhere to turn. Hopefully we can help you with that. We talk about things like jealousy, lust, forgiveness. We help you make the distinction between What's the difference between love and lust and things like that? We talk about the things most people don't like to talk about. Gina, there's a lot of unrest and uncertainty in the world. Many of us are feeling angry, depressed, sad. What do we do with these emotions before we explode? You suggest that we care for our soul, get to the root causing these emotions. How do we do that? It's this Saturday night and every Saturday night at 730. Here on KKLA. And we have a lot of fun, too. We do. I hope you'll join us. All right,
2: let's get back to the Apologetics.com radio show.
0: All right. Well, that is not box cello concerto number one, but, you know, we like to uh, be relevant to the kids these days. Hey, actually, that's the kind of music I grew up with. A little bit heavier, even. All right. So uh, we are talking that our topic, I am not Jonathan Noyes. I am filling in. I am just Anthony Costello, but I have brought with me some uh, heavy hitters to the studio tonight. We have Logan Zepieri here and professor of political science at Biola University, Darren Guerra. Guerra, not
2: Guerra. Oh, we, we just said Guerra. Yeah. You do? Yeah. That's not the Spanish way to say it though. It it's actually Italian. So it'd be guerrera. <laughs> we it. yeah. well, then we're paisani. Yeah, oh that's my right, goodness. That's I didn't right. even know that. I thought okay. <laughs> All right.
0: Um so we're talking, yeah, Christian nationalism, what is it? Whether it's not a useful term. We've gotten now onto the topic of natural law, which we've you know, it's uncontroversial that this is the uh, the concept, the idea that the founding fathers were working with as they were building our institutions of governance jurisprudence. And Darren, you were talking a little about natural law and you're going to move us into how natural law really relates to
2: human rights.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, this is something that all of our founders knew because that's why they included it in the Declaration of Independence. This is something even Walter Mondale knew that you to right. ground human rights in something permanent, something that's not going to just change with every whim, like hairstyles and fashion. Mm-hmm. You need to ground them in something permanent. And that is a natural law. And you need to, there's a moral order in the universe that tells us that human beings are certain things and those human beings, uh, that nature doesn't change. And so um, the rights of these human beings are grounded in nature. Contrast that with kind of modern, kind of, uh, or postmodern ideas of who humans are. And you have, as early in the 1800s, early 1900s, you have um, Oliver Wendell Holmes saying, "Truth is the majority vote of the nation that can lick all others." Right, right. right? So, so truth, that- truth is just based on power, power, essentially. Right. And that's kind of what we're dealing with. But how do, can, then your your rights just evaporate with yeah. every new majority or any majority that wants to deny you those rights? But Martin Luther King knew. He knew. No, I'm going to ground um, civil rights in the natural law. And that's why he cited it in his letter from Birmingham jail. And sadly we're kind of moving away from that and putting all of our rights on these very, this very thin, thin ground that can be broken very easily.
0: Right. Right. Or, you know, that could, I mean, that can turn into a tyranny.
2: That's right. Right. Of the
0: powerful, right. That's right. Is it, um, Thrasymachus, Gorgias?
2: Uh, th- probably both, but Thrasymachus says yeah. justice is the will of the strong. Justice is the
0: will of the strong. And let's just say we, we probably don't want to go there. No. Right, I don't think so. Well, well, if you're hope. the winner, you <laughs> like yeah, to go there. If you're there. the winner, you might. But obviously, as Christians, this is not... Uh, is... That's
2: bad for your soul, though. Yeah. That's, that, <laughs> That's even Socrates right. do that. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> Logan, um, to, to bring it to something very concrete, um, human rights. So let's talk about... Uh, power discrepancies (laughs) right and um, you know one area that we've uh, talked about a lot is um, the right to life of the unborn who obviously have very little power of their own in in that sense and so how does I mean how again natural law human rights yeah concrete issue like abortion
1: yeah so in the contemporary conversations human rights is super popular and I think for, for good reason um and, you know, we like our Martin Luther King, you know, we like our William Wilberforce, we like our, you know, Abraham Lincoln, who, you know, ending the slave trade or, you know, the Emancipation Proclamation. But again, the, the sort of the thrust of natural law is that it's not determinative of like the individual will or the politician that yeah. happens to be in power. And so the, the sword kind of cuts both ways. You know, you can't just say, I like these rights, but I don't like those rights. The question is, what are the rights? And then if you're going to you know, uh, agree with the metaphysical and moral commitments of natural law, then there are some implications. One of them is the abortion debate. If everyone is fundamentally equal, sure, everyone agrees, you know, okay, blacks and whites are equal, but then you go, well, about the unborn, you can't, you don't get to say, well, those ones don't count, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. You don't get to say that. Another application would be in the marriage debate. It goes back to the functional argument. You can go, um, you know, Robbie George did some uh, articles on this where it's like, why is marriage is between a man and woman? Yeah, this goes all even back to Aristotle. It's like, well, there's a particular kind of relationship that exists between a male and female that produces children. And there is a particular kind of relationship that does not, that's, you know, does not exist between two men or two women. Natural. I'd say, well, there's probably something functioning there system. Like, right. Right. Maybe like the respiratory system, maybe like the circulatory system. And that particular kind of relationship can be defined in a in a way that's very clear. Yeah. And so this is where you get the debate about marriage between a man and a woman grounded right. in in another
0: right. Right. There's a teleology there. There's a there's there's something uh, there's a goal or aim. Yes. Right. And and uh, and of course we understand that it doesn't. It's not the natural function may not always work. Right. We understand that. Because there's a certain kind of brokenness in nature itself. Our doctrine of sin yes. assumes a brokenness not just of the human will, but also of the creation itself and the created order. Yeah.
1: Or like you know, someone having a cleft palate or something like that, where yeah. it's like this, we do surgery, yeah, to help because we can identify there's something not functioning, right? Right. You know, for maybe for you know, infertile couples or something like that would have a little bit different problem, but yeah,
2: and yeah, Darren. One thing to, to point out is not only is natural law a good ground for human rights for the reasons that uh, Logans has pointing out, but back to the politics of it, for the founders, it was a way to reconcile um, very diverse uh, religious population at the time. You had right, right. congregationalists, you had Anglicans who were killing each other in England just 100 years prior, and now they're in America as allies against the monarch. You have Quakers and Baptists and Presbyterians, You have uh, George Washington writing a letter to the Jewish congregation in Newport, Rhode Island. You have Catholics in Maryland. You have some real religious diversity in the founding, and natural law is a non-sectarian way to point to there's a moral ground for our laws. We're not just making these up. They're not arbitrary. They're not based on human power. They're based on the created order of nature and nature's God, as it says in the Declaration of Independence. So they're general enough, yes, where we can all agree on them, and That's then right. each. And I
0: think this is what both Mondale and Reagan were saying in that debate. Reagan maybe it may be a little bit more, um, not mentioning any specific denomination that he was from or anything, just church, and a higher authority um, that we all can sort of agree on. That's right, right. Um, uh, and and maybe Mondale was saying the same thing too, in the sense of not um trying to use politics to impose a certain interpretation. So natural law is saying there is a common ground mm-hmm. regardless of Jew, Christian, Muslim, atheist. Now maybe we need to talk about that because there's this is the apologetics.com right. radio program. <laughs> Does natural law sort of take a hit maybe in 19th century leading into 20, you get to talk when Oliver Wendell Holmes in what early 20th century. Yeah. Yeah. Early 20th century. And I don't know if he was
2: an atheist or agnostic. Uh, something yeah. Like I, I don't know either. He certainly talks like an atheist, but, but you I'm know, not sure,
0: but we know from, you know, we know the philosophical trends at the end of the 19th century yep. with Marx, with Feuerbach Marx and then getting into Nietzsche and so on and so forth. Uh, death of God, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, a thoroughgoing materialism. Mm-hmm. I mean, so is it sort of the sense that we've had a long run of sort of a, um, atheistic materialism, that sin also was kind of the seedbed for postmodernism? And this is where sort of natural law theory has maybe had i don't know if i say fallen out of favor but it's had its historical opponents
2: well it certainly fell out of favor late 1800s early 1900s guess when it came back into favor after world war ii Ah. right a lot of atheist materialists were like oh maybe it would have been good (laughs) Mm -hmm. to have a natural law to ground human rights in maybe prior to the holocaust it would have been nice for people to understand that human beings are not just plato that you can just Discard at will.
0: You know, that is fascinating because uh, I was listening to one of Al moeller's podcasts, and he had a scholar on who had a written a book about the, these four uh, female philosophers. You'll know the ones I'm talking—it was uh, Anne Combe, mm-hmm. Mary yep. Midg- Midgley, um, Iris Murdoch, and uh, the fourth one's escaping, um, escaping me right now, uh, Philippa Foot. Oh, yes. After the war, you know— they um, they don't want to go the route of Ayers and the logical positivists of saying all moral moral claims are just you know nonsense and everything and they're and and they're drawing they're not drawing they're, I think only Anscombe was a believer mm. but they you know they're drawing from Aristotle they're they're going back to virtue ethics Aristotle and and everything which is a is a you know that's where we you mentioned Plato earlier yep. so this is where we so it's not a specifically Christian uh position although it is a position that christians can readily we would call it an openness to general revelation yes is what we were talking to yeah. common grace romans one yeah. says romans that from
2: 1, the beginning right. of creation uh god's divine attributes are known to men so right. like right everybody so, knows them based on what we can observe yeah and, and then the there bible are some testifies that su- to that
0: suppress that truth and uh, right. unrighteousness That's of course right. and then you get the litany of what human beings do in romans uh 1 18 through 32 when that when they suppress that
2: that's
0: right in, un, in a, that truth in unrighteousness but so we'd say there's a there are biblical grounds oh. and there's obviously as i said there's a doctrine of general revelation and then just for the audience this is what we're talking about i think natural law theory is you could ground it in the greeks but it it's 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 not um income it's not say incompatible but paul this is what paul's we think is pointing out uh, in Romans one, yeah, so it's compatible for for a, a broad swath of of human culture.
2: Right? Yeah, and I think it's it's fullest grounding is yeah. in Christianity. I just like to point it's, to the right, Greeks to say right. it's not a uniquely Christian thing. Like the yeah. Bible testifies that you know, the rain falls on the righteous and unrighteous. Right, right?
0: Ecclesiastic. right, exactly. So
2: um, yeah. uh, non-Christians and Christians can say, oh, we need a moral order. That's right. why I think Socrates is useful. Like, he, he's smart enough to realize we need a moral order. It can't just be justice, can't right. just be whatever the strong says it is. And and I think Christianity develops that in its fullness. Like, right. you know, right. uh, in Christ's incarnation, we get the fullness of of this. Right. And um, so Christianity, I think, is the best ground. But uh, it, it, if you're not a Christian, you, it can still be a basis. And the founders saw this. They saw this as the only legitimate ground for grounding human rights and that you don't have to be a Baptist or a Methodist or an Anglican. Right. Like you could the whole Christian tradition um, can adopt this. And the, the Protestants, Luther, Calvin, and obviously, the Catholic tradition all embraced the natural law, right. and so that's why it was a. a, a I, I'm I'm trying to stay away from the word a useful tool because it's more than that. They right. would say this is the nature of reality.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. It's a, it's a far more, uh, far deeper claim. Yeah. Right. Uh, Logan. Yeah. Okay. Let's say you know we said historically it's had its competitors, right? And, yeah. And and uh, but you know. Let's say that this this is, you know, the the best way to ground, you know, our institutions, right? Yeah. Because it is what shapes us morally. It, it gives a pre-political basis for doing politics, right? So where everything just isn't politics the way, you know, maybe Marx. It's not just gangs ruling. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, but what's that going to look like? What do you think that would look like? I I know Rusty Reno um, over at First Things was talking about like, well, you know, maybe we'd have something like would reintroduce prayer in school. Now, but it wouldn't be like a specifically Christian prayer. It's not like we're saying the Our Father, but it would be sort of an anodyne generic prayer. I mean... Is there a problem for us as Christians with something like let's let's go back to natural law and let's just have everybody sort of or we hope that everybody would sort of just acknowledge the creator or nature and nature's god, let's put it that way. Is that because there are other Christians who are saying natural law is not either it's not good enough or it's not implementable. We yeah. need something more Christian, more specifically Christian, more specifically related to special revelation than just some kind of yeah. general well, natural law.
1: I mean you you have to know a little bit of the history of natural law like yeah. one of the big reason why it fell out of favor was because they said well natural law is just Christian. Mhm. It's just, you know, a Locke's project is just to sort of sneak Christianity in the back door. Some people could say well that was his project, but th- the big push against it was well it's just very it, it's Christian or it just talks like Christianity. So I don't know as far as like when people say, well, it's not Christian enough. Well, there is a strong argument to say, well, it is actually broadly speaking Christian. Um, I think the, the, the opposing side of that would be, you know, you don't want to legislate particular denominations. I mean, this is, this is like the problem. And Dr. Guerra brought this up. This is like the problem that the America America's founding is trying to figure out is well we want to say the world functions in a particular kind of way, but we also want to recognize that no individual is all knowing. It's kind of like the question of uh, in Mino's dialogue, where it's like, how do you, you when, to ask a question, you have to know enough about the stuff to know what you're asking. Mm-hmm. But then if you know when you got the answer, then did you already know it to begin with? So there's like this bizarre situation where people know enough to ask the hard questions, but there's always this question, like, do you know enough about everything? And so when you get to natural law, especially with America's founding, the the America's founders are like, well, we have to allow prudence to sort of have its way within sort of this like kind of like living ability to like adjudicate between prevailing maybe a prevailing opinions on, oh, this is how this ecclesiology works or this is how that ecclesiology works or these are the certain laws that we're going to go with where it's like, well, okay, maybe, you know, we'll have prudence sort of dictate it, but there's a fundamental framework where that debate can continually be had. And that's sort of the, the the, I don't know, the, the pragmatic cut that the founders do. I think that they do so well is, well, there are commitments. they are the most that we can make to keep everyone on board, but they're flexible enough that, you know, 200 years later, we can still have these identical conversations. Maybe we make some improvements. Maybe we don't. So with the abortion thing, with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, right? It's not just precedent. doesn't just rule the day. You can have, go back to it and go, well, the precedent was actually bad because we're still trying to approximate mm-hmm. a fundamental truth that all are created equal and their consent derived from the, of the governed. Um, so, does that answer that? Like when you try to go too far, what you're trying mm-hmm. to say is we actually know what's true mm-hmm. fundamentally and its very particular kinds, the car yeah. is going to be yeah. red mm-hmm. and some people are like, well, maybe it could be blue. Right. Right.
0: right. Okay. Yeah. Darren. Sense? Yeah.
2: Well, and that's where I think the, the, the genius of the American founding is they didn't try to specify and they had experience in England. Uh, I said England was trying to, they, they do have a, state church in england today which is part of the funny part of this whole christian national because they actually do have a state church they do have christian nationalism right, right, yeah. in england and when it was raging we they were celebrating king, the funeral. king charles
0: the third right yeah that's I mean, he's right the that's had a the, the, right yeah, the, the church yeah the church <laughs> that's right
2: church ain't doing so good over there <laughs> right exactly <laughs> so, you know, so, so there might be listening. some things yeah yeah um but that's the point the americans were fresh from that like Uh, you know, Anglicans and Mm -hmm. Congregationalists and Presbyterians were all killing each other over how to order society, how to order their church, their churches. Right. And America said, no, we're at the federal level. We're not going to establish a church. Yeah. Right. But we do need moral boundaries. We need a moral order. Not even do we need one. There is a moral order that we can't ignore. Now at the state level, they they allowed established churches and we did have some, but those states eventually decided not to establish churches, but they allowed that. They, they, that was that kind of federal um, separation. That, that that they were wise to not specify mm-hmm. so clean, uh, so specifically. But we needed moral boundaries, and we have to know what a human person is, and we have to ground what those human persons in in something beyond human power.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. Just a reminder, and I, I better get this motto in. Otherwise, I'll get in trouble with the powers that be. But <laughs> high uh, just a reminder to our audience, this is apologetics.com radio show, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. That's a great motto. Um, and so, I hope we're doing that today. Uh,
1: Logan, yes. So, well, I was thinking maybe we could take the question in an opposing direction, because I was actually talking to a couple of my friends about this a few days ago. And they'll say, you know, people who go towards the, like the, you know, um, Integralist or theonomy kind of yeah views. right right okay what,
0: let me, tell give tell us a little bit about that term though before, before, integralism well, know, is, what does it, that I mean, the, mean that's a big word
1: the the general I guess I don't know, broadly speaking the argument is that the government should sort of look like or function like you know the divine order in a way if mm-hmm, broadly okay. speaking and there's a whole bunch of like well how far does it go are we are we it's just the decalogue is what we are governed by you know to like it just needs a mirror what the Roman Catholic Church hierarchical structures, it, there's all out there the, 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 the just the gist of it is it needs to have some sort of semblance of the, the divine order mm-hmm. but when you get to the root of it the main art critiques usually stem from that's because America's a liberal project and it has failed mm-hmm. and then they'll point to you know you know a transgender story hour or something like that right right that that's sort of I mean, I, i'm look really how far i'm we've really fallen. yeah look yeah. how far we've fallen that's the yeah. general scope of the argument but i yeah. feel like the it always where they miss they completely miss is the fundamental Christian nature of the American project. It is like a fun it's a fundamentally Protestant project. Mm-hmm. The separation of powers, the fundamental human equality, the endowment of rights from the creator, the question that that the country should be a religious society. You know, Reagan and um the, go, go Mondale. Yeah, Mondale. They're not just living in a vacuum. Like the reason is because America has developed as a very Christian nation. Uh, Chesterton makes this argument. when He came to America back in the you know 1930s. How did I, 90- I know you were th- going to bring up Chesterton? It, I, our, I have to bring in up every our single discussion time. tonight. And in his book, what I F- saw in America, he the first thing he talks about is the the customs form, which is always a place to begin, I guess. And the customs form asked him if he was a communist. But what's what's fun? So it, what's so bizarre is that America's concerned for what do you believe? Not are you French or are you you know mm-hmm. Moroccan? But do you believe in a particular kind of system which says there's a higher power right. that there's consent of right. the governed that mm-hmm. you know all these sorts of things? And in this case, you're not a communist because your argument was what. It's a threat to the governing structure. Yeah. Not that it's a threat to the
0: Italians or it's a threat to the Irish. It's a threat to the governing structure. And that's and the and the American identity was built around that set of beliefs. And it's is one of the things. One of the reasons why uh, you know my grandparents came over from it from Italy, Darren. Just so you know. So yeah, you I mean, might as well. Great grandparents in my yeah. case. <laughs> um, Darren. Um, we did Logan mentioned integralism I just want to touch on that and I think you've done you, you've, you've read a little bit on that mm-hmm. uh, just so we let people know that there is this view out there can you give us a little bit more details on that uh, and I think there's you know I would you I say that use the term or bring up the term theonomy which I think is maybe and I'm not you know, educated on this uh, kind of a Protestant version of integralism. I think so. it might yeah. be related.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, and I don't know a whole lot about theonomy either, but in both theonomy or integralism, there are distinctions that I don't want to. I don't want to blur them, but they yeah. both see a larger role for, if not church structures or church influence, definitely um, more particular uh theological specificity if we want to put right. it that way right yeah, that's a good way to they put want it um the specific ten commandments perhaps enforced or they want church structures
0: to, to include the first three commandments yeah. which i think is the kind of the critical piece there because right. you, you're the first four depending on how you count the ten commandments because but there's always been the vertical commandments which are logan's point that are direct you know uh, uh moral duties before god but then there's the social commandments, are moral duties between uh, in society, Yeah. right? But there is a, a strain there of saying, "Oh no, the 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 whole of the Decalogue, yeah. kind of needs to be somehow, I don't know, say enforced, but implemented. well, I've
2: I've heard people yeah. argue for that, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, and okay. And, yeah. and people do want that. Um, um, again, there's even a range in those terms, but the American founders explicitly rejected things like that. They they explicitly rejected direct, specific uh, theological commitments on certainly on a a church institutional level. But they did want the moral order grounded and they grounded in the Declaration of Independence, right? Um, uh, Clarence Thomas who's a sitting Supreme Court justice. Yes. He famously says, look- For
0: all you kids out there, I don't know that. Better study up.
2: Human laws, positive laws, can't get me out of slavery. He says that famously. And when you watch Lincoln debate Stephen Douglas Mm -hmm. leading up to the Civil War, Stephen Douglas is arguably the first pro-choice candidate. He said, hey, let's just vote on slavery. And if you want it, you can have it. And if you don't want it, you can't have it. And Lincoln's like, no, no, no. There's certain things that are not up for a democratic vote. Right. There's certain things that are so grounded in the moral order of the universe that even a democratic people can't choose them, and you can't choose to enslave other human beings. Right. Because you're, you're. And
0: that's the analogy to our pro-life to our pro-life. It's positions. an exact
2: right. analogy, yeah. I would argue. Yeah. But we can have that discussion yeah. in a free country. We can have that discussion.
0: Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in a country not dominated by the powerful, uh, which would not be me. Uh, just so everybody knows. <laughs> um, okay, Logan. Logan, uh, well, uh, Logan, just to wrap up here. You know, let's say let's say natural law gets back get back in the popular thing; it gains traction again. But what what are some people what are some people going to think they might lose? As far as if if, if, if natural law were re, if we really were to recapture natural law as our as the way to you know um, do our do our government make our policies you know. Shape shape the moral attitudes and opinions of the culture. I mean, what's what are I mean, where's the resistance? Where are people saying, "Well, <laughs> you know"? Yeah,
1: I would say. Well, I'm, I, I mean, I'm going to be a little bit biased in this, so I'm just going to say it. I think what they'll lose is the total, and complete insanity of like absolute vacuous liberation. <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's what that's, we want to lose. Yeah, that's know, what you want to lose. I think people yeah. understand that, and I think yeah. that's what people see is like. Mm-hmm. You know, especially with a lot of these self-actualizing, the, the multiplicity of genders. I think when you get to the, ba- the root of it is people are just punching the air to find some resistance to find meaning. You find meaning through resistance in a way. Aristotle is very big on that. You, you'll find your meaning in society. The, the particular society you're in, the particular neighbors that you have, that's where you'll find meaning. And when you have just a freedom that is just unrestrained, you can't find that. And I think that's actually that people are afraid to lose. Is that you know? Oh, maybe there's one more thing we can you know punch in the air, so to speak, and find the thing we've been looking for.
0: Great. Darren, last word.
2: Um. Yeah. No. I. I, I, Then we need to have a moral order. We need to recognize the moral order that does exist. Mm -hmm. And America has always recognized that moral order, and it started to fray. And as you aptly pointed out. The two leading political candidates, Mondale and Reagan, both recognize the need for that, and and we've kind of lost that, and and that's a shame.
0: And is it something then that we should be praying that we would regain that, I guess, right?
2: Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. Well, this has been the Apologetics.com radio show, and I want to thank Darren Guerra and Logan Zappieri for being with us tonight. I am Anthony Costello, and it's been a pleasure to be with you, and I wish you all a pleasant day. Morning.